From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18, if you're new or just returning, you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's discussion on the armor of God and what he describes and what it means for us. And I think this is an important discussion, even more so after what happened today. I think this is an important discussion because too often we fail to recall that all that we see is not all that is there. We just go about everyday life. We wake up in the morning, we get our coffee, we get our breakfast, we go to work, we leave work, we come home, or you go to school, you come home, or whatever it is you do through the day, and then you come home, and you eat, and you maybe have an activity, or maybe you fall asleep on the couch because work was long, and then you get up, and you, you're there for, and then you go to bed, and repeat. And we go through life, and that's what we just see every day, but we fail to recall that all that we see is not all that is there. But in God's created order, in God's created um, realm, there are spiritual beings, angels behind the scenes administering God's rule and his reign. There are demonic forces, forces that are working against the Lord. There is a heavenly realm, a spiritual space, and a place that is all around us. And often what happens there manifests itself in our struggles. Paul is kind of talking about that in this passage. This is an important discussion because according to Jesus and Paul, we have a real spiritual enemy. You have an enemy. You're like, well, I'm a pretty nice guy. I get along with everybody. Not this guy. You have a spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him the devil, and he schemes against us. And that word scheme means plans. He has plans to tear your soul away from God, to blind you to truth and to God's doctrine, to hold you back from growing in faith, to lead you astray, twist our scriptural understanding, anything to stunt our growth. So this discussion is important because our struggles are not all that they seem. This this discussion is important because if we're going to take a stand against this enemy, and be able to withstand his schemes, that we need to be equipped to do so. If we're going to not fall victim to his plans, but actually live in the abundance that Christ calls us to live, right? Jesus says, I've come that they have life to the full. If we're actually going to live life to the full, we need to be able to take a stand in our struggles. So this armor that we are looking at in Ephesians chapter 6 isn't just some fluffy spiritual metaphor that we pray, now I'm good to go for the day, but it's a way to live, really. Paul is describing through an illustration a way to live your life, to be firm in Christ. So we've talked about truth, we've talked about righteousness, and let's talk about peace this morning. So here's what Paul teaches Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 it says finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you may take a stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore because of that put on the full armor of God 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We looked at that the first week. The truth is that which corresponds with reality, and untruth is anything that is unreality, and our world has twisted truth and attacked truth. We say that good things are bad things, and bad things are good things. So Paul says, put the belt of truth around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Breastplate of righteousness that is from God and also right conduct. And then he says in verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I want to look at that today, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Would you bow your heads as we pray this morning? Father, thank you again for all that you're doing here today. Lord, I thank you and we praise you. And I pray, God, as we look at your word this morning, and as I share, Lord, that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to every mind and to every heart. And you remind us, for those of us who are in Christ, of the peace that we have in Christ. And we'd walk away here, God, desiring more of your peace. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, Jody and I went out to Alberta uh, for a conference, an ARC conference. ARC is a network of churches that plants churches, and we went out west, and we, we took the time to take in the conference, but we thought since we're there, we'll do some, you know, things that you do out west, and, you know, did the conference thing, visit some friends, and then we went to Banff. I don't know if you've ever been to Banff, but it is absolutely gorgeous. It is stunning. If you've never seen mountains in person, I'm telling you, nothing will make you feel like you're small in the vastness of God's creation than mountains. Absolutely gorgeous. And so we, we, we took a couple days in, um, during this week to, to visit Banff, and we didn't really have great plans. We didn't pack for Banff. We just kind of thought, hey, we want to see Lake Louise and Lake Moran because they're they're well-known spots, and, and so we took a day, packed a little picnic lunch in, in our backpacks, and went off, and around this time, you know, this is the first time of uh, a few years ago, this is the first time that we went on vacation without our kids, and we just had jo- Joshua and Eli at the time, and Jody, I think she was about five to six months pregnant with, with Emmy, and so we took this picnic lunch, and we, you know, we were going over to see Lake Moran, and and Lake Louise, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And as we're there, you know, there's some hiking that you can do, but we're not dressed for hiking. She's in a sundress and, you know, sandals. And I'm, I'm in wearing, like, flip-flops, you know, like the, the, the thong ones, you know, that's in between the toes there. And, and they were like, I don't know what happens with my feet. I wear out shoes very easily. But they were, like, completely worn out. Like, there was, like, a paper-thin layer between some parts of my foot and the ground. But we were having an absolute blast. And as we're there... You know, some people said to us, you got to go a little bit further past this area and you'll see some glaciers. And we thought, this would be fantastic. We'll go do that. And so we, you know, uh, put in our GPS. Somebody told us about this place called Pato Lake. And we put in our, our GPS, Google Maps, Pato Lake. And then we, we drove. We got in the car and we started driving along this road past Lake Louise, Lake Moran. And we saw all these little spots that you could stop off at. And, 
and see some amazing scenery, the, the kind of stuff that, you know, is just pictures don't do justice. And we keep driving until finally we come to the spot on our Google Maps GPS that says Pato Lake is here, but there's no, there's no Pato Lake. There's just road and forest, and then it says it's there. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to stop my car and hike through forest right now. But we did see a little turnoff, you know, kilometer, a couple kilometers back, so we thought, ah, let's go back there and see what we can find. Maybe there's some meanderings through the, through the woods here. And so we turn around and pull off into this little turnoff, and there's this little parking lot. And the parking lot is absolutely packed. But sure enough, we find a spot, and we get out our vehicle, and we see that everyone's kind of congregating towards, like, this corner of the parking lot walking. So we, you know, get a, Jody gets out pregnant, sundress. She looks beautiful, you know, little sandals, like we're going to go have a picnic in the park. And, you know, I get out, and I'm wearing my flip-flops. I put the backpack with our nice little picnic lunch in it. We start walking to the corner. As we're walking to the corner where this path is leading, we're noticing something about everyone else in comparison to us is everyone else is dressed like they're hiking through like rough terrain, and, and we are not. They got hiking shoes on, they got hiking gear, and we're just like, oh, maybe this is not the spot for us. But we thought, whatever, we'll give it a go, because we're crazy like that. Sure enough, we start going along this path, and we realize that this path is not the kind of path that you walk in Birkenstocks and sandals. It's not made for five-month pregnant ladies. It's made for people with tough, rugged shoes, because it's steep, and it's meandering around trees. And I kid you not, people were passing us, and we were asking them, how much longer? Just a little ways. Sure, you're in your hiking gear. So we, we trugged along, and props to Jody because she just, she was, I would have been like, screw this, let's, let's turn around, let's go back. But she's like, no, we're going. I don't know what's over there, but we're going. And we made it to this spot at the top. We finally made it to the spot at the top which was kind of like this lookout, and it looked down over Pato Lake, and it was absolutely gorgeous. I got a picture. I think there's a picture of it here. That's, we took that picture. This is not a Google. We took that picture. And this does not do it justice. It's the clearest, bluest water I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing, though, the, be, the ability of someone to endure a difficult path depending on the shoes they're wearing. In the first century, shoes were, were a critical piece of a soldier's armor. Soldiers fought in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and so agility and the ability to move and keep their footing and hold their ground was important. They would march for long periods of time over difficult terrain, and so the footwear they wore was important to be able to handle that long march. So the shoes that Paul had in mind for the Roman soldier were these. I'm going to show a picture here for you. These were the shoes. They were made of leather, and they had straps that wrapped around the ankle and shins and nail studs on the bottom. And they gave the soldier two great advantages. Number one was they kept the soldier's feet from sliding. And number two is they gave them great mobility. And a number of historians actually suggest that the attention that was given to the Roman soldier's shoes actually afforded them the ability to conquer. Interesting. How many of us need a little bit more stability in our life, in our person, how many of you would love to conquer sin? 
and overcome that temptation. Maybe you're someone who keeps losing your footing in your faith. You're doing the yo-yo game of faith and the roller coaster, and you just can't seem to get over the thing that you're trying to get over. Maybe you just can't get past the difficulties that life brings. When life hits you, it hits you hard, and it knocks you down. The spiritual enemy, the scriptures say, is scheming. He's planning to cause you to slide in your faith. Sometimes in churches, we use the term backslide. He's calling you to slide in your faith, to lose your ground, to slip you into sin, to knock you down through life's difficulties and through temptation. If life is a battlefield and we are marching as an army to the end goal being the person of Christ and the person Christ wants us to be and being in the places that Christ wants us to be in and live with eternity with God in view, the enemy is trying to knock us off that course. If I can just get you off that course, if I get you to slide from that path. So our ability to stand firm is contingent on our foundation. Or metaphorical footwear. Because you and I cannot control the ground beneath us. But we can control what shoes we put on. So Paul tells us in this fight to, to take a stand, a firm stand, we do so with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Peace. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Peace. We are prepared for this battle to trek along difficult terrain, to take a stand in the struggles with a foundation of peace. You know, when you and I think of peace, we think of the feeling of calm, that mental state or emotion, right? A parent with young children wants peace in their home. A worker wants peace with their higher-ups. A bullied child wants peace on the playground. A spouse wants peace in the marriage that's on the rock. Someone struggling and stressing just to get through just wants a little peace. Just a moment of tranquility. That's why we long for, like, vacation, right? Just can't wait for the peace. Yes. <laughs> so someone do this. Yeah. It's true. We think of that mental state, but the biblical understanding of peace is much broader. In Hebrew, is the Old Testament word called shalom, and in Greek, it was the word edani, if I pronounce that correct. And the understanding came from a verb that means to complete or make sound. It had behind its meaning wholeness. It was used to speak of the completion of major buildings. It's used in the sense of restoration and repaying debts to make debts whole. As a greeting, shalom was used to ask about the welfare of someone. Are you whole? Do you have peace? It speaks of the state of being, of contentment and tranquility. It also speaks of the bond in a friendship. It's used to speak of the absence of war and enemies. If you do a study on the word shalom in the Old Testament, you'll see it used in a number of different ways and translated into a number of different English words. Here's some of those words. Rest, 
kind, as in kindness, safety, triumph, welcome, greetings, unharmed, blessing, goodwill, a treaty in friendship. The more you look into it, the more you begin to see this picture that peace in the biblical understanding is all-encompassing. It's not just calm. It's not just vacation. It's not just a moment of rest. It is whole. Jesus, our Lord, our King, our God, the Scriptures declare, is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace. God is referred to as the God of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Shalom. Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. So Paul says, stand firm in these struggles with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We stand against this spiritual enemy when the peace of God is in us. Not just a calm state of mind, but wholeness in Christ. Jesus wants you to have this peace. He wants you to have this footing. He wants you to have this on your feet so that as you stand on the foundations that life bring, the grounds as you track through the difficult terrain that is life, there is stability to your walking. Speaking to his disciples about his departure and the coming Holy Spirit, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Listen, God doesn't want you to live in disordered chaos. It's not his design. His desire for you isn't a life full of anxiety and brokenness. He doesn't want you to slip in the struggle, on the path, though the path is hard. He knows there is an enemy who's using all these things that life brings to discourage you and to knock you down. So Paul reminds us that God's peace readies us for the rocky terrain. God wants you to have peace, not just vacation peace, but a wholeness that comes so that regardless of what you experience and see, you remain steadfast and firm. Now there's two different but related senses to what Paul, I think, is talking about here. The first is this, is that God has made peace with us in Jesus. I find it interesting as I've been studying the armor of God that a lot of it comes back to the gospel. Just love that. Everything's coming back to what Jesus did in the gospel. God has made peace with us in Jesus. Here's what we need to understand about original sin and a sinful nature is that because of it, we were enemies of God. And we don't like hearing about that in churches these days because churches like to talk about just nice things and fluffy things and kind things and hopeful things. Well, this is hopeful, what it comes to, 
But in sin, we are enemies of God. Sin separates. And as enemies of God in sin, we are deserving of God's wrath, of God's punishment. At the second coming of Jesus, when he returns and he brings judgment on all evil, enemies of God will receive the wrath of God, destruction, the consuming fires of hell. But, it's a good one, it's a good but, but because of God's love for his creation, in Jesus he came and he made a way as the way maker for us to be reconciled to himself and to receive peace. So no longer are we enemies of God, but we've been made whole and reconciled. Romans chapter 5, got lots of scripture today, verse 9 and 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Because of this, people who follow Christ, as people who are in Christ, we now carry with us God's peace. Isaiah 53, verse 5, a prophecy of the coming Messiah, says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Peace, shalom, complete, to make sound whole. We are now fitted with peace, which means we are now standing on a solid foundation in Christ. We cannot be moved. Cannot be moved. Look at what Jesus told his 12 disciples. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the peace of God through Christ doesn't mean that we're going to live in a state of calmness all the time. doesn't mean we're going to have picnics on top of a mountaintop overlooking Pato Lake, all right? In this world, the promise is you will have trouble. You'll be struck by hardships. But what it means is that when we're struck, it hits differently. It means that when, when the waters come and they shake the foundation of our lives, we're still left standing. It can shake us, but it won't break us. We are less susceptible to the schemes and plans of the Satan when we fix our minds and hearts and beings on the God, what God has done for us in Jesus, the peace the wholeness, the completeness given to us through Christ. And so as the enemy comes to seek and knock you down, to tempt you, to lead you astray, it's God's peace that gives us the firm foundation to stand on. We may shake and wobble like the inflatable man, you know, at the side of buildings that are trying to attract customers, but our foundation is solid, and that's a really weird illustration, but it works. Because the wind comes and moves that inflatable man, sometimes bending over like this. But he comes back up. What a great illustration. I just thought of that one. I gotta write that one down. Sometimes it looks like he's really knocked down, right? He's just like totally bent over the wrong way. But he gets back up because his foundation is 
solid. I can preach a whole sermon on the inflatable tube, man. <laughs> I heard someone use this illustration this week in speaking to this, and I thought it was really good. Did you know that an eagle can sense a storm before it comes? And when the eagle senses the storm coming, what it does is it locks its wings in place and readies it for the coming storm. So it will fly to a higher height. It will lock its wings in place so when the storm hits, it's set and they're prepared. Then as the wind picks up speed, the eagle can actually use its wings to fly and soar to higher heights. So the wind from the storm actually elevates the eagle to a place it wasn't before because it is ready. Can't change the storm. Can't make it go away. And I wish we could, right? I, I love the illustration, and I don't like it at the same time, the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples when the storm comes, and he's taking a nap. Their storm's coming, they're freaking out. Jesus, don't you care, they say? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Doesn't that feel like us sometimes? We got things going on, we got life, and we're just like, God, don't you care? And he gets up, and what's he say? He's like, you have a little faith. You could have been doing what I was doing. That's what I really think the, the point of this message is, is that Jesus modeled for us the life we could have in through the Spirit, and he modeled for us taking a nap in the storm. It's like storms will come and you'll be able to sleep through it with the Holy Spirit in you. Guys, don't you have faith that you can sleep during a storm? You know, once upon a time I was camping as a child, kid, I don't remember this, but apparently it happened and a wicked storm came and we had one of those tent trailers, you know, that they raise up and the sides go out. And I was apparently sleeping in this tent trailer when the storm hit. And everybody went into the van and the vehicles because they were a little bit more secure and watched the tent trailer do this. My mom's here. She probably remembers it. It's a piece of God. <laughs> the ability to not allow a storm to set you off course. Jesus promises us that in this world you will have trouble. doesn't say might, doesn't say maybe, you will have trouble. I've told you things, though, that you may have peace. The promise in there is peace, peace, my peace, I give to you. And if you look around the world today and all the days, you look throughout history, there's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of temptation in our world. Our flesh is infested with sin, and the devil's looking to accuse us and discourage us and slander our name. But in Christ, we have the advantage that when the wind comes and picks up speed, you have something that allows you to sail above it. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. God has made peace with us in Jesus. The second sense, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, is once we've received God's peace, we are now ready to go and make peace and drive back the powers of darkness. Jesus called 
Those who make peace, children of God. Amen. Sound system's with me. Now, keep in mind the biblical understanding of peace. This does not mean, as we go and make peace, that to not ruffle feathers and to keep the feast, we just accept everything. This doesn't mean that we accept every interpretation of Scripture. This doesn't mean we affirm sin and every teaching that's out there. It doesn't mean that we, in the name of peace, you know, go ahead and be tolerant with all because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We want to keep the peace. That's not what this is. We're still called to speak the truth in love, right? And the scriptures say to let our words be seasoned with grace. We still speak truth. But what this means is we go and we announce the gospel of peace, one for the world through Jesus, through our actions, through our words, through our deeds. So when people look at your life and they hear the things come out of your mouth as you share, you can proclaim to them, hey, you're going through difficulty right now, but I got a peace that surpasses understanding that you can have. It comes through being reconciled through Jesus Christ to God. So that even though your world may be shaken a little bit, the storm of life may come, difficulty may come, trials, temptations, you can stand a little firmer. Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace. We don't fight in this world and we don't fight these struggles and we don't fight this enemy the way the world does. We are readied for this battle and stand firm and march ahead as peace-filled followers of Jesus. But don't expect to bring peace if you don't have peace. You can't go and make peace if you don't have peace. So how do we get peace? This peace, not just tranquility, but this peace. Number one, few things. Number one is accept Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you are still an enemy of God. Your sin has separated you. But the love of God, which can never be separated from you, has come in Christ so you accept him as your Lord and Savior by, by acknowledging the fact that you are a sinner and you need him, but through him you get his peace. This is the foundation. And so if you're here, you're online or you're listening, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I, I challenge you to give your life to him today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you are a sinner and that he is Lord, you will receive salvation, you will receive peace, you will be made right with God, and you get that foundation that, that sets you up for every other storm of life. Second thing, for those of us who are in Christ, maybe we're living lives and we just don't feel at peace, is put yourself in the presence of the Lord of peace. I fill my cup that is empty by going to the spring, right? By going to the, where the water is. 
the absence of peace in my life that we're talking about today is likely because I'm not present with the Prince of Peace. I'm more refreshed the closer I am to the fountain. But if I don't spend time at the fountain, I can get a little parched and I can feel the impact of being dehydrated. We need peace by going to the peace bringer. If you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have peace, this is why. Being a follower of Jesus means three things, right? It means we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and we do what Jesus would do if he were me. If he were a 37-year-old pastor of four kids, husband in a small town, what would he do if he were me? You fill in the blanks for you. First one, I need peace. I got to be with, with the God of peace. I got to spend time with the God of peace. And the, the devil would, would like nothing more for you not to do that. The enemy who schemes and plans against you says, ah, just you, what you really need is just a nap. You just need to rest on the couch. It's been a long day. That was really tough today, eh? Oh, it was really tough and that hurt you hard. Just need to lie down for a bit. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes you just do need to nap. <laughs> nap is a godly thing. Jesus slept in a storm. But he'll, he'll tempt you with that to stop you from going and spending time with the man who brings you peace. He's like, ah, just pull out your phone and veg. Pop on the TV. You know, have a couple drinks. You'll feel better after that. And maybe that's momentary and it will last for a bit. But then the same happen, happens the next day or a couple days after that. When what you really need is just time with the Father. Carved out in your day and in your week. That's why the Sabbath is such a beautiful thing given to us. A full day of rest, not just from work, but being in the presence of God. And number two, I, I put myself in the presence of the bringer of peace, God of peace. And number two is I put into practice the teachings of Jesus. Very practical. I become like Jesus. I do what Jesus would do if he were me. He said this, book of Matthew after the Sermon on the Mount. He said, everyone, this is Jesus' words, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus shared these words after the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about things like hatred in our heart, being murder. We talked about lusts. Talked about generosity and truthfulness. He talked about prayer. He talked about fasting. He talked about judging others, what it means to be a true disciple. He says if you, if you want God's peace, you want that firm foundation, the readiness that comes, then you put into practice the teachings of Christ. And I, I truly believe, like, like some of us live really nice Canadian lives. Like we're just nice people. Canadians are nice people. Generally speaking, maybe you know a few, 
but they probably, you know, have dual citizenship somewhere. But Canadians are nice people, and sometimes we equate niceness to godliness. But we still lust, and we still judge, and we don't fast, and we don't pray, and we're not truthful. But Jesus said, if you put these words into practice, your foundation is firm. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.